The Digital Banking Podcast is powered by Typhoon. Typhoon is a dramatically better digital banking provider. Our appeal is unique. We collaborate closely with our customers and the banking ecosystem in an open approach coupled with a powerful user experience that helps get things done. On our podcast, you will hear how digital banking plays a leading role for community-minded financial institutions from the unique perspectives of our industry expert guests. Hello, and welcome to an episode of the Digital Banking Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Detart, the VP of Sales and Marketing for Typhoon. And today, we are extremely excited to have Mitch Rosenbaum and Lisa Mixon on the show. Lisa, Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Anytime, obviously, for you two. Before we get started, would uh, you guys like to give our audience a little bit of background on yourself? Tell us about maybe some of your past experience and what your role is today at Credit Union of Colorado and what a day in the life looks like for each of you. Lisa, maybe we'll start ladies first. Sounds good. I am the Credit Union's Director of Project Management. So on my team, we have process improvement and project management. I've been with a credit union a little over, maybe a little under 10 years. I came in from a medical college. And so my history is in project management, not credit union world. It's been a a wild journey learning all things credit union over the last 10 years. Been pretty fun. A day in my life looks like a whole lot of meetings, a whole lot of talking. And the most fun part is getting to connect with people and getting to hear about their sides of the business. So my job is just to make sure everybody else can talk and understand to everybody else. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Welcome. Mitch, over to you. That makes it my turn. Uh, makes it your turn. Yeah. Let's see. I am a new to the credit union business officially. Been with uh, Credit Union Colorado for a year and a half. My background, uh, my degree is in engineering psychology. So it's how to make things user-friendly and comfy. And I worked in many ad agencies and marketing agencies for the years and had this opportunity to finally help a company deliver on all those promises. So it's been a real pleasure as the VP of marketing and e-commerce at the credit union to really help us bring the messaging we're, drive, we're promoting through to the back office and make sure we're delivering on it. Thanks, Mitch. You know, it's funny when I think about different folks and their roles and their titles, I, I think you two of anybody I know probably could have the longest titles (laughs) for all the 17,000 things you do. So I think we have lots of good conversation that can come out of uh, today's podcast with the two of you. So thanks for joining us. And maybe for the folks who aren't aware of Credit Union of Colorado, if you're not, you should be just saying, but how about giving our listeners a little bit of overview on the credit union as well? Sure. Mitch, can I jump in on that one? Please. So our credit union um, is uh, just over a billion and a half, I think, uh, 1.5 billion in assets. We have 140-ish thousand members. We have 17 branches throughout the state of Colorado. So we are focused, our original charter, our original seg group was focused on state employees in Colorado. And we morphed that. And of course, we've changed over the years. And probably maybe six years ago, seven years ago, we changed our charter to where we are a foundational charter and um, allow anyone in the state of Colorado to join us. And so it's an awesome opportunity for us to be able to give back in the communities that we serve by having donations to the foundation. It just helps um, compound what we're able to do through the credit union and also help out through the foundation. So it's pretty cool. And Credit Union of Colorado has grown quite a bit and fairly quickly over the last few years. What would you say has really attributed to that maybe from a high level? 
And don't just say Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that was the key point was bringing that forward. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, I think that credit unions are having a bit of a moment. Uh, the the gen, the genuine purpose behind a credit union is having is having an opportunity right now, uh, partially because of the regulatory changes. Now, now it's much easier to join, but also because we're actually delivering on the promise of supporting our members. And I think it's a more educated audience that we're trying to convey. And people are leaving the for profit bank world for credit unions, and that's driven a lot of the growth. I would definitely agree with that, Mitch, because when I started with the credit union, we were under 100,000 members. I remember the year that we celebrated our 100,000th member and we had cupcakes and all that fun stuff. And it, it was pretty cool. And I really feel like the, the whole reason that we're able to continue to grow is because of our driven focus on doing what's right for the member. We echo that through our culture and through our, our staff and making sure that the staff that we have are equipped and empowered to serve the member and and just realizing that that's our whole purpose. And I believe that has given us opportunities to grow and expand over the years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Mitch and I were actually talking about this uh, on a phone call recently about how credit unions really are having their moment in times of need and times of trial where your values are really tested. That's where credit unions have a really cool opportunity to shine. So Mitch, do you want to maybe elaborate a little bit more on that, on how you see, I think we've probably all talked about COVID more than we would like to at this point, but maybe how that's impacted credit unions' ability to really show, hey, this is who we are and this is how we differentiate ourselves because we really and truly care. It's not just a fluff statement piece. We really and truly care. I think it comes down to we were already there. So COVID didn't necessarily change very much for us. It's, a, it's hard to say how we've changed other than we've gone much more digital. We were prepared for that, luckily. We've been preparing our remote workforce. We've been preparing by improving our digital banking as much as possible, putting systems in place so we could be a little bit more reactive and provide the right services. For example, like making a skip a pay loan a lot easier to apply for and get processed and loan forbearances and scaling up our contact center when our branches had to close, things along those lines put us in a good position to still deliver on that member service. But from the kind of core, what we provide to our members, nothing really changed. It's It was already in our blood. I think the biggest change is where we are doing it. And so we were, we've, like everybody else, we were forced to go home and do it. And I, it's, very exciting to see what Mitch is talking about and see that um, we were prepared and we didn't have to change. We didn't have to pivot. And we didn't have to shift. We could just accelerate. Yeah. So looking into the future, Mitch, I think it's pretty cool that we have an opportunity to have both of you uh, on today's podcast because Mitch, you get to be the uh, chase the shiny squirrel and look for the next cool thing, which is one of the reasons why I love to talk to you as much as I possibly can but then Lisa has to actually go make it happen. <laughs> so what are the things that you guys are really looking at? And, and then how do you plan to execute that over the next couple of years? A couple of things we're looking at really are largely driven on this acceleration that Lisa was mentioning. We're seeing a lot more of our members reach out to us via the via channels other than the branch. So I expect since that has been such a great experience for our members that they will stay there. Uh, and, and continue to reach out to us for those channels. So part of what we need to do 
is determine how can we scale better to provide that level of service to a larger group of membership. And a big piece of that is looking at things like chatbots and artificial intelligence to help direct people to their own answers, making things more self-service. We're in the process also of building out our whole new website. And we've really approached that from a perspective similar to more of a software company where there's a lot more self-service tools and a knowledge base and things along those areas. And then using things like chatbots, exploring ideas like video banking, uh, where we can create that one-to-one connection with our members outside of a branch and really get that same learning. Part of that also is measurement and understanding what our members are doing on those systems and where their pain points are, where our, their their success points are is actually the harder thing to find. Knowing where pain points are, people let you know, but really knowing where people are going most often and finding success so we can improve those systems is, is a big piece of what we're moving towards as well. So Lisa, go execute. Just <laughs> <laughs> Mitch and his great ideas definitely give us an opportunity <laughs> to accelerate our work too, because we're internal. We deliver internal service to the organization so that our staff can deliver the external service. But that's what we're about right now is trying to figure out where can we tweak, where can we adjust, and how can we do things um, a little bit faster. And how can we chunk it out and realize that everything doesn't have to be perfect when we deliver it, that we can deliver and then improve. And then just figuring out how to get it done and that quick turnaround. And we have a a method of where we prioritize things based off of what we call our MO, which is our members, our organization, and our employees. And so that's how we rank things. And so we have this huge priority list and that's how we execute things. And Mitch has to sell it to us and we rank it and prioritize it before we start executing it. So it's it's pretty fun to get out there and do it. So is that like a dodgeball tournament in the parking lot or how does that get ranked? (laughs) We've had to figure out how to do the dodgeball virtually, but... I know, yeah. Like play Pong virtually in the winter... uh... It's actually the little screen that you do when you get your internet isn't connected and you can play that little game with the space with bar. The dinosaur? Yeah, with a dinosaur. It's that, you know, kind of thing. There you go. You'd mentioned a few buzzwords that I'd love to talk about. Chatbots and AI. I think it's really funny. I've only been in the digital banking space for about the last four years. And even just in that four years, I've seen a few of these hot topics come and go. And I definitely think chatbot, AI, this is one of the next buzz topics. And what I find is interesting is everybody seems to have a unique definition of what that looks like and what role they think that would play in their credit union. So would you mind expanding on how do you define that and how are you looking at leveraging that to better support and offer services to your members? I define it based on who I'm talking to. <laughs> That's what I, I think the reality of a chatbot and AI, and AI is much bigger than just chatbot. So let's talk really much more about AI for member service. And one of those channels would be chat. The reality is there's chat, there's IDR, there could be some integrated personalization into your digital banking system where it's surfacing up when your next transfer should be or that you're going to overdraft your account. Chatbot is really just one of the great channels for delivering that intelligence. I also look at chatbot and there's four phases of sophistication. There's knowledge base, just answering questions, fielding the internal question of what is your routing number. And chatbots can be really good at that. They can determine routing if it's misspelled five different ways and still show the routing number, which would reduce probably 10% of our call center traffic. 
So there's some easy wins with a good chatbot, answering how to change your address, things that are just in an FAQ. And that's really phase one. Those are everywhere. And I think every chatbot provider provides that level of service. The next level is where you start to get into transactional and where you're integrated with your systems. There's some really nice Alexa and Google Home apps for that. I think a lot of the new AI systems are much better at translating people's intent and understanding through that level of conversation. If somebody started with requesting to make an auto loan payment, and then we have to go through authentication and five more steps and still remembering they're talking about their auto loan. That seems to be a big differentiator between a lot of the different chatbots. So it's that multi-level understanding. And that's really that phase two transactional. Um, Phase three is really where you start to move those to more of your channels. So you're providing that through your website, through your digital banking, through your IVR and those pieces. So you're meeting people where they want to be met. Uh, You could even do it in SMS or in Facebook if you decide that's secure. Um, And then phase four is that promise. And I think right now that largely is the buzzword. And that's where the long-term value of chatbots will be is, can they really provide insight? Can they tell you, hey, you have two Netflix subscriptions and you need to, you, you should think about canceling one of them or that your spending habits have changed dramatically and, and help you try to bring them back in line. And that's, that's the magic of AI right now. And I use the term magic whenever I also sense vaporware. <laughs> um, so I've yet to really see that work. I've seen some very simple applications. I think over the next year to three years, we'll really see those systems either come to life or it will be called a buzzword. Yeah. I think what's interesting for me is you, you define these four different phases and where do you think one, the technology providers today are? And two, where do you think credit unions are really ready to start adopting that? And three, where do you think members, and not just members, but just, I would say, all of us as users and consumers of digital goods and services, where do you think we all fall in those categories? The last question is the big question. And, and I think that applies to so many of the, the technology list I gave earlier. Is there a desire? For, for members to use some of these systems. And I don't know how to get to that answer yet. I'm working on that. I think if your listeners could please send me information on how they're determining member interests for chatbots and such, I think it's really coming from a place of how can we provide scale is that interest. I think the market is there. The providers are there for phase one and two for sure. And we've seen, I've seen many chatbots that can provide that knowledge base and that transactional piece. I've yet to be a hundred percent thrilled with any of the providers that can cross all the channels equally well. There's not a provider that can do IVR as well as they can do the website chat or vice versa. I think that would be that phase three. So there are providers that do both and they do pretty good. I think there's just, that's the differentiation. What's your priority? Do you prioritize your IVR or do you prioritize your chatbot or your web-based chatbot? That makes sense. Lisa, from your perspective and your team, what challenges do you see in implementing those? I think Mitch hit the nail on the head right there with the different channels. We have so much that is connected in the background. So if we're doing something simple and it doesn't necessarily need to connect to our core, then the deployment's pretty easy and can be pretty fast. I think that's, like Mitch was saying, some of the providers that we've seen that promise a really quick turnaround and a really quick timed market. But in order to deliver the true value, you really have to connect to the data. 
and to connect the data at this point, you have to connect to our core, which, you know, is not necessarily the easiest. We are working um, to try to mitigate that with our middleware. And so we don't have middleware yet. We're working on implementing it, but trying to look at, can we have the technology that sits in the middle to where we can plug and play a little bit more? And hopefully that would help. But at the end of the day, we have a desire to have the same level of service, whether you're going to the IVR or you're going to the chat bot or you're coming to us in person. And so until we can figure out how to deliver, that's a quandary of, we don't wanna go with five different vendors for that. We wanna go with one if we could, but if there's not one out there, then how do we put it together? Yeah, that's a really good point. I'd like to talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. We talk about, when you look at the the different digital providers that allow credit unions to be able to, you know, support digital channels, you, you really have two major players. You have your core provider and you have your digital banking provider. And then you have all these other ancillary services that, you know, can plug into either one or both of those two things. So, you know, when we talk about digital banking, we think digital banking needs to move at the pace of digital, not at the pace of banking. The core predominantly moves at the pace of banking. And there's pluses and minuses to both of those elements. Sometimes there's such a thing as moving too fast. Sometimes there's such a thing as moving too slow and it's finding that sweet spot. But when you have these two ends of the spectrum on these two major providers, how do you guys work with your core? How do you work with your digital banking provider? And how do you find something in between? So I guess maybe one easy uh, low-hanging fruit question to answer to first is just, Lisa, would you mind telling us a little bit about your core setup, who you guys use, what you run? Yeah, we use Jack Henry Ephesus. And so um, that's our core. We did have a project back in the in the spring. It was our first project after um, COVID. So we went live, I think, middle of April to move our Ephesus platform from an in-house solution to Jack Henry's cloud environment. So to ease, they call it, which that was really interesting to be able for that to be our first one. No risk there. Um, yeah, I like how you were, used the word interesting. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was inter- <laughs> interesting was the word. And I totally forgot the question, Josh. When you look at using your core and your digital yeah. banking provider and then being able to actually roll out these you know, different third-party services and some of the new age fintech stuff, how do you look at that working with your core, your digital banking and and maybe explain a little bit of why you're looking at a middleware solution. So right now, when we look at providing a different solution, whether it be something like A to A, P to P, or looking at loan payments, the external loan payments from a different FI to imaging, all of those things have to connect to our core in some way. And so right now, we typically write direct connections. And that's one of the the most lengthy time periods in the project is because everything has to connect to the core in its own way. And so what we're trying to do now with the middleware platform is put this layer in the middle to where the scimitar connects to the middleware piece. And then we don't have to redo the connections that are coming in. We can just, oh, we can take this one, take this loan payment plugin out and we can change it for a new one. And we don't have to connect it to the core. We just have to connect it to the middleware. And so we're really hoping by having that standardization that'll speed up our ability to connect to the data that the core houses without having to connect to the core itself. So I think what I heard Lisa saying in there was, Mitch, you can have all the things you want yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> it's all just plug and play. 
Yeah, it's just all plug and play. I mean, that's one how thing, IT works. That's the easy button. <laughs> Staples. <laughs> and, and one thing we're adding on top of that then is that middleware connecting to the core and then connecting to all the ancillary systems also then connects out to the channels. So we can connect, centralize all the emails that are sent out, centralize all the SMS, centralize all of those to one system. So we're no longer having bill pay send an email and loan payment send an email and our core send an email. We can consolidate those and have much better quality conversations with our members. Gotcha. So how do you guys define and how do you look to determine the ROI and the value as you look to some of these more future leaning solutions and some of the things where you're you're categorizing them in these buckets of uh, this could be today's buzzword and whether it sticks tomorrow or not is yet to be seen. I feel like we've been a little blessed in that our organization is not, and, and I think that's the nature of credit unions, they're not driven purely on ROI, they're driven on improved experience. So we really measure, is this the right idea on, is this going to improve the member experience? And then secondarily, is it responsible financially for our members? And that's a big piece of that conversation. And and there are certain things that are very expensive that would be great for my member experience. I think video banking is one of those that would be great to create that one-to-one experience. Might as well have a hundred branches too. Uh, but the costs to that benefit is a lot harder to quantify. So you then have to start really measuring the member interest and getting those and maybe survey your members. But one piece we've been putting in place is we centralized our support to a ticketing system. So we can then mine that and report on that to find where our pain points are and then find solutions to address those pain points. If you follow that methodology, the ROI kind of falls into place. So tell me a little bit more about this ticketing system that you guys are working on. <laughs> We're working on it with, with this digital banking provider. You know, Was that a loaded question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've implemented Zendesk in, in collaboration with Typhoon. And it has been phenomenally successful. We just yesterday, we're looking at our loan payment tool and looking at, and we're able to look back through a history of tickets and report on those tickets to find how many members are having this same type of issue. And we were able to really quantify where that pain point was. And in this case, it was specific to a certain version of Safari that we would have spent weeks chasing that down if we didn't have a ticketing system in place already that was recording all of that information. So it it gives us the data to solve our problems on a much more kind of organic level. It's not that structured data that you get from your core. It's that member experience data. And you mentioned that when you're looking to determine ROI for you know a different product or feature, that the member experience is a really big part of that. So how did this play into the member experience side? The, the ticketing system you're referring to? Yeah. yeah, but a little bit luck. Luck plays into this to some extent. We were really looking to provide a better chat experience and a better email experience at the front end to our members. That's where it really started. However, part of that then is the ticketing and the process that you use behind the scenes when you receive that chat and receive that email and channeling things to the right resource so you can solve that problem as quickly as possible and then report on that solution so it's repeatable. And so that's really been the big part of the ROI has actually been the efficiency we've created on the back end simply by looking to solve that member problem of how do we get to the answer as fast as possible. It created the efficiency on the back end so we can solve more. And you know how 
how we rolled that out, Josh, the PMO wasn't really involved in it because we rolled it out on a small scale. So Mitch coordinated with our contact center and rolled it out just to our sub team of the contact center that that does this electronic member communication. And it's morphed in what, maybe six months to where other areas of the organization are clamoring to, hey, can we be next? Can you come to us next? (laughs) So I was talking to one of the reps the other day and she was like, yeah, we're almost there. We we can turn it. I think we're going to turn it on next week. And it's just a because of the efficiencies that Mitch was talking about, it gives them so much better or so much higher. They can provide a level of service to the members and make that member experience so much better because they're not having to do 10 things to reply to to one email. And I think another big piece of why it's been successful is that it's self-configurable. So each department can own their set of processes and optimizations and macros. So we actually have a a distributed group of champions. It doesn't work in silos. You can't do member support in a silo. And the the nature of the tool where we can have a, a department, each department build out their own processes and then connect into the rest of the departments allows everybody to have that sense of ownership, which is so key to delivering that quality experience. Lisa, you made a comment that I think is really interesting that it's, it's also about not having so many different places and things that need to be done on the credit union side to be able to support the member and how that actually plays into the member's experience as well. One of the things that I found really interesting is as we, we talk to credit unions about rolling out different products and features, a lot of times you look at, we have option A and option B, and it's not always this cut and dry, but you have option A and option B and option A has phenomenal member experience, really poor backend experience. And option B has a really poor member experience, but it's super easy and efficient for the credit union side. And one of the things that I appreciate and respect about our credit unions is that they always go for the, hey, you know what? We'll figure it out on our end. We'll work till midnight if that's what it takes. Just give our members the better experience. But I think what's really important as the ecosystem builds out, we have to do both well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can't be just one or the other. So making sure that when we're looking at this whole omni-channel approach for digital banking, it's not well, it's omni-channel unless you work at the credit union. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so true. We've definitely done that. I've, I'm sure every credit union has said, oh, we'll figure it out on the back end. We can have workarounds to the point of, I didn't realize that was a workaround. That's just how we do things. But that comes into play when the member has to wait 10 minutes longer than they they should have had to wait. Or somebody's frustrated when they finally get back on the phone with the member because they've had to go through this whole process. And so we're definitely trying to to look at how do we, like you said, how do you find that happy median? And let's get both. Yeah. Mitch, did you have a comment on that? It, 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 you made me think of a phase that I missed on chatbots. And one thing I've seen from a few of the chatbot vendors is they also provide a tool on the background, on the back office, and they can help navigate all the different internal tools as well for a member support individual and can even help with making sure you follow procedures and process and report on those. And I think that is almost like a whole separate type of chatbot even though they're, you want them all integrated together. But I, that actually could be the another one of the big defining moments if, if that becomes your primary interface uh, as a back office professional and then it talks to all the systems. And I, 
I think a big reason that is compelling, and there would be many tools that can do that, is chatbots are new. So they use new technology. They're built on new architecture. They're all API-driven. Luckily, our digital banking provider is as well, Typhoon. They are all API-driven, so they can talk to all those systems. I think it will take either a middleware solution or a modernized core to be able to really provide that quickly. And that will have a massive impact on the entire industry. So maybe taking that even a step further, where do you see the big opportunities for credit unions in the digital space over the next couple of years? This is where I could be very wrong. You're asking me for prognosticating. I'm not very good at prognosticating past about six months. I do think we will see a more consultative approach and credit unions will become, the people involved in credit unions will become less transactional. As digital banking systems get better and chatbots get better and people's phones get better at automating their own lives, it's going to free us up and where the value is going to be in is that consultative conversation uh, with our members. So we need to be able to train and provide the right information to our staff so that they can have valuable conversation. I think that kind of brings it full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Where credit unions didn't have to do this big um, culture shift in COVID to you know, provide value to members. You were who you were in January, in March, in May. Um, just to Lisa's point, maybe the delivery channels were a little bit different, right? If we weren't able to have a branch open, it was more digital, but it wasn't like credit unions had to change the way they treated, serviced, and cared about members. That was the same as it's been for you know 100 years. As technology gets better and is able to help support both members and credit union staff with some of the more, I don't want to call it mundane, but mundane tasks, it allows the credit union to be what a credit union is and a consultative support for their communities members and individuals, financial health. You guys know the story. I'm somebody who was personally saved by a credit union. And it was because of that consultative approach. It wasn't just you're a number at a big bank. It was, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk to you as an individual and we're going to set you up for success. And I think translating that into a digital world is going to be really important. Yeah, I think we have to be very careful not to let the systems break that relationship. And not to lose our culture if we continue to be remote or if we continue to, to provide service with teams that are not sitting beside each other. Because our culture and our, our people are what make the credit union so great. And that's how we can have the positive impact on our members is because our teams are so good and they, they believe so much in what we're doing. Do, do you mind if I ask a little bit, of how have you guys done that? How have you helped to maintain that culture at the credit union? Some of the technologies we've had in place or we had in place pre-COVID have helped with teams. We've definitely made a shift. We were a little bit camera shy before all of this. And now it's kind of, wait, why is your camera not on? And so I, I think that has helped us. We have for the staff, each leader is taking it upon themselves to have maybe their daily stand-ups or a weekly huddle, depending on what it is. In the branches, they're able to be a little bit more, of course, in person. We have an all-employee call that we were doing at the beginning once a week so that we could 
cascade information or just keep staff in the loop of what was happening. We've we then moved it to every two weeks, and now we're at a point where we say I said okay, we can go every month. We have a response team that meets every. We were meeting every day. We now meet three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But it's the whole, we are very much aware that we don't want to lose our culture. And so I think that's the biggest thing we've done is just to make sure that we're aware that we don't want to lose our culture. And so we're intentional. I don't mean to tell you that you're wrong, Lisa, but the answer I was looking for was Lisa's (laughs) famous memes and gifts. Because you keep my personal library stocked quite well with all the good stuff you come up with. That's how I communicate with my team is through gifts, but can't make everybody do that, even though it would be so much more fun if they would. Lisa's taught me the best way to say no is with an animated GIF. It does. That's where you get a thumbs down instead of no. (laughs) So I have one kind of selfish final question to ask. And I know we don't we don't script these things, but I definitely didn't give Lisa any heads up that this question was coming. But when we look at the digital banking space, I think one of the biggest fears is a conversion. <laughs> and Lisa, don't let this go to your head too much, but our team uses you as our internal gold standard for project management. And when we're talking to a credit union about timelines and about processes and they ask what it takes, we say, are you Lisa from Credit Union of Colorado level or where do you fall on, on our Lisa, Lisa grading system? So without spilling the beans or giving away too much of your secret sauce, any commentary for any credit unions potentially looking at doing a digital banking conversion, some lessons learned, some thoughts? Uh, You make me blush, Josh. For the digital banking conversion, we approached it a lot like we approach any other project. It was big and we understood that it's going to impact our members heavily. The one thing that I did differently from for that, for the digital banking conversion versus what I would do on normal projects is I specifically requested core team members rather than asking for a resource. So a lot of times in most projects, I'll go to people and say, hey, I need somebody to sit on the core team. Who do you think is appropriate? So this time for this conversion, because we knew we had a tight timeline. I'm not sure if you remember that, Josh, or not, but we had a pretty tight timeline. And so we picked the the best people that we had. So the A team. I know we would have been successful, whoever we'd had on the team. We approach project management at the credit union informally, and I think that's probably one of the reasons we're successful in it, because we don't get hung up on this is the schedule and it has to be met. We try to focus on really what is black and white and try not to make the things that are gray black and white. And so if it's not really a deadline, then let's not try to make it a deadline. Let's just try to meet it. And I think that's probably why we're successful. And then the fact that We really went to the conversion with an approach of, we want a partner, not a vendor. And so you guys were a great pick in the fact that we wanted to deliver this service to our members and we realized and had learned that we can't just do it through a vendor. And so if we build the relationships and if we get into the effort together, instead of, hey, you're working for me, we're paying you, then it's, there's almost always a better result in the end. I think I will forever remember being there the night before go live and showing the team the picture of Bob and (laughs) our sleep deprived humor. No, we we really appreciate that as well. But in all seriousness, we 
we do use the the Lisa Gold standard. Thank you for sharing some of your secret sauce. And Josh, to, to return those kudos, we have a similar scale when we're evaluating new vendors mm-hmm. of are they going to partner with us as well as Typhoon partners with us. And we use our relationship as a partner with you uh, as a standard to measure other vendors that we would choose to work with. We appreciate that sentiment. We resemble that sentiment. We are humbled by that. So thank you. My only hope is that every single day we wake up and we continue to try and earn that love and respect from you guys. So thank you. Before we get too far down the mushy train, I think we're getting close to our time here. So maybe a few questions to wrap up. Let's start with some of your favorite resources. What are your guys' favorite online resources that you rely on to keep you up to date on what's happening in digital banking and the credit union ecosystem? I think my favorite, probably just simple go-to that makes it super easy is Seth Godin. It's his daily emails. And so it's not necessarily keeping me up to date about the credit union or keeping me up to date about any of the events, but it's his philosophical kind of pings help me remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so that's the one that I look forward to every day. And then there's the others, like the financial brand. That's probably the the one mm-hmm. um, site that I go to the most, but it's a little bit more boring than the other. Unfortunately, I have a complicated answer. I use Flipboard on my the app on my iPad, and I've trained it. I actually have a category I call fintech, but I've trained it to follow different articles on user experience, on fintechs, obviously, on digital banking, and it's actually gotten really smart over time. Maybe I could share that as a magazine. They let you share magazines. I'm sure I could find some sources in there I can send to you, Josh. You can post it with the podcast as well as as some good sources. I think the, the drawback of something like financial brand and some of the other tools is there's they're industry magazines, so you're only going to learn about what's happening in the credit union space or in the bank space. And I feel like there's a lot to be learned outside of our space to bring in. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Lisa. As a segue to that, Mitch, if somebody were to want to ask you for those resources, or Lisa, if someone wanted to try and bribe you to get some of those super secret sauce project management skills out of you, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? How can they learn more about Credit Union of Colorado? They can go to our website. Now, we can share uh, our email addresses. You can post that with the podcast and I'd be happy to try to answer emails. Unfortunately, as we all know, the email channel is inundated. I probably have about 50 emails in this remote world, especially because I can't pop my head out of the office and ask anybody a question. But I'd be happy to try to answer. I think that's one of the blessings I've learned since I entered the credit union space is everybody is happy to help everybody. And that's awesome. And I would love to help perpetuate that. Yeah, it's my single favorite thing about this industry. I love it. It's a, a cooperation model, but it is way further on the cooperation side than the competition side. And it's really refreshing. Are you guys on LinkedIn? Can people find you there? I am. Yes, they can definitely find me there. Mitch is laughing in his I'm, head because he I'm knows there. why I'm asking no. that. <laughs> I need to, I'll, I'll go update my LinkedIn. You're making me be public here. All right. <laughs> I was just going to laugh at that, Mitch. Wasn't going to throw you there. <laughs> and then Mitch, maybe just for those that maybe uh, haven't heard of Google or something, what's the Credit Union of Colorado website address? <laughs> it's cuofco.org. Awesome. And our new website's coming in two months. I think it will be uh, a pleasure to roll it out. So I look forward to getting suggestions from folks when they see that as well. 
bookmark your calendars. We didn't even get to some of my favorite topics to talk to Mitch and Lisa about when it comes to marketing and user experience. I'm already going to lob this out here. You guys are coming back. We're doing this again another time. Uh, it's always such a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk to you. I consider you guys both close personal friends at this point. So you're stuck with me. Thanks for spending a little bit of your afternoon with us today. Thank you for sharing some insight for uh, our listeners. And thank you for being a part of the Typhoon family. Thank you as well. Great to talk to you, Josh. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Mitch. We appreciate having you here on the Digital Banking Podcast. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Digital Banking Podcast powered by Typhoon. Find more episodes on digitalbankingpodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Typhoon. Everyone builds features. Not everyone builds relationships. We build both.